the responsibility is what weighed on me very quickly. Um, the responsibility of mine to raise the children on my own and to do a good job. The responsibility to contribute meaningfully to our business. I never wanted to be someone who was you know, riding on any coattails or being looked after. And I think the responsibility then became to be okay for others around me. Hello and welcome to Life on the Land, a Grazy Her podcast telling stories about rural and regional women across Australia. I'm Skye Manson and I'm your host for this episode. On today's show, our very first guest is Julie McDonald. There is so much to Julie's story. Falling in love, a life on the land, her husband Xander, her four daughters, being CFO of one of Australia's largest privately owned beef enterprises, McDonald Holdings, and so many more things. You might already know Julie and her deeply moving story, which was unhinged seven years ago when her husband Xander passed away after a farming accident on their cattle property 75 kilometres south of Cloncurry in Queensland. The McDonald family farming empire has a long and beautiful history in Australia. If you don't know, they first arrived here in 1827 and now their current operation is just huge. 3.36 million hectares with the capacity to run 170,000 head of cattle in the good times. Today we touch on what happened in 2013, but mostly we speak with Julie about what her life's like now, how things have changed and the Xander McDonald Award, one of Xander's legacies. We start way back when Julie was a child. So I grew up uh, in central western New South Wales and I'm youngest of three, um, really an idyllic um, upbringing. Two um, parents who, you know, loving and, and supportive. We were involved in everything from pony club to ballet, swimming club. Um, we lived on the outskirts of a little country town called Kudal and, you know, we had 100 acres and freedom um, and, yeah, just really value um, the, the upbringing that I have had. When you think about your childhood, what are, what are your, some of your fondest memories? Oh, I think there's so many. Um, mm. I just remember we were always involved in everything. You know, we, as a family, we would all go to swimming club. Um, we'd all go to pony club. Um, if mum and dad, they worked off the farm, a little farm. Um, but we were, you know, we really had a deep knowledge of what they did. Um, if they could take us with them, they did. Um, our grandparents were on a farm on the other side of Orange. Um, we saw a lot of them. We were just involved in, in anything that was going on and it was just a really inclusive environment. Did you think you would become a farmer or did you aspire to be on the land from that age, do you think? You know, I think as kids, uh, I just took it for granted that that's what life was. I did go away for, for school. I went to boarding school in Sydney and stayed in Sydney for university. And it was never really, I, I guess I never really thought I'd stay in the city. Um, I had no notion that I'd end up on you know large scale cattle stations um, in far flung parts of Queensland. But I, as soon as I did finish my degree, I headed back to the Northwest and, uh, and worked in an accounting firm in Orange. I just was never part of my plan to be in the city. 
Yes. And you studied accounting, is that right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really know um, what I wanted to do when I left school, but it is a really solid foundation for anything. And I, I did pretty well in school. I was, um, you know, toiled away and, uh, and did a business degree and found I did well in those subjects. So I just sort of followed my nose, I guess, and, and did an accounting major. Turned out to be a pretty good choice. I bet. So I bet it has. <laughs> so let's connect the, the dots a little bit. How did you come to be where you are today and how did you meet Xander? Well, a little bit, you know, to, to try and trim it down a little bit, I suppose I, I went back to Orange and um, took a posting and cut my teeth in an accounting firm there and did a postgrad um, course to get my CPA and then thought, oh, well, I'll, while I'm uh, young and have really no commitments, I headed overseas with a girlfriend and um, six months of backpacking, which was a lot of fun, came back to my job and six months later said, well, I need to go again. I think I need to go and see a bit more of Australia. So um, a girlfriend who had a teaching job, a, a posting in Mount Isa, encouraged me to come with her. So I did. And um, yeah, it was great. And I, I'm sure my parents were, you know, a bit bewildered with my decision to, to just head north into um, the Mount Isa region, which I'd never been to before. Um, but it was a lot of fun and it was a really good move. And um, yeah, and then about three, three or four months after we arrived, we'd met some other great girls and we were all off to the Cloncurry show as a, you know, highlight on the social calendar. And yeah, I met Zan at the pub on the Friday night before the show. It was just funny. He has such an unusual name. His name's actually Alexander, but it goes by Xander and, um, you know, not a name I'd heard. So over the noise of the pub, I wasn't sure whether it was Zando or Xander and, you know, there was just a lot of fun and laughter and dancing and, um, yeah. What were your early days with Xander like? Uh, they were, you know, I mean, no different to anyone else with the first, you know, flush of romance and love, I guess. Um, I was just really, you know, he just has this zest for life and, you know, ideas flowing out of him from the day I met him and uh, just an attitude that let's just give it a go. And I was really just, uh, you know, I was on a bit of an adventure myself, I guess, traveling up from, you know, the, the relative um, safety of the family network around Orange. And I was just, you know, all in. Um, just a lot of fun I suppose at the time you, you just think you're going along and, and doing normal things I look back and you know we really weren't we were you know pushing boundaries I suppose he was and I was alongside him when we first got married and, and moved up to our property um, on Cape York you know no no children at that time and and yeah just a lot of go and a lot of fun and you know I was mad keen on him so it just felt like it was the right thing to be doing but you weren't you know, you weren't from North Queensland and these, the big vast expanse of land and uh, cattle, I suppose. And what kind of jobs were new to you? And were you like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> oh, look, I was to a degree. Um, and I, I do remember I'd be thinking, God, someone's going to realise I don't know what I'm doing here in a minute and call me out. But I suppose, you know, when you're young and full of energy, I guess you just don't doubt yourself as much. I certainly had to learn a lot and fast. And, um, you know, things like um, cooking for a camp of men when, you know, really the, the most cooking I'd done for myself was, was pasta. That was, that, was, <laughs> that was a fairly steep learning curve. And I thought really important at the time. Following his pretty ordinary directions and mud maps and, 
interpreting what he was saying over a, a two-way radio and I guess I'd, I'd grown up with horses so the riding aspect wasn't wasn't new but certainly this type of riding was I didn't do a lot of it to be honest I guess I was occupied um, doing other with other things around the homesteads and but I did still love getting out on a horse occasionally but I wasn't part of the stock camp yeah a lot of new things but again I think when you're just in love and uh, wanting to be out there and experiencing it it's just life yeah it was remote and and there were times when I really did think oh my god I can't you know I need to get in a, get in the plane and and go and see some of my family or friends um but you know Zam was terrific support and he didn't always take a lot of my rubbish either and he sort of you know put me back in my box sometimes if he thought I was getting a little bit um <laughs> a bit reasonable which is yeah a bit precious um so no it was great and you know he had he had very high standards and I suppose I I really wanted to um to get the compliment um, which was that I was handy you know that was a big one probably still is and how did it come to be that you ended up at Cloncurry uh, well, after a few years on um, at Rutland Plains, which was the property when we went to when we were first married, um, we had a first our first two daughters while we lived up there, and the head office, the, the home base was in that Devoncourt Brightlands um, properties, which is where the family um, started and lived. And for Zan, who was taking more of a leadership role in the business, uh, it was it was going to be better for him to be a little bit closer to. Um, airports and where the centre of operations was, I guess. So it was a decision really to just facilitate the management of the business. And what was your home like there? Or what is your home uh, like? Cloncurry, yeah, my current home. Um, it, it's beautiful. Um, it, it's got a really rich history. Um, previous owners include Alexander Kennedy and Fergus McMaster. So there's a you know a lot of um, a lot of history to delve into there. Um, but apart from that, it's, um, you know, it's a large scale. It's about 230,000 hectares uh, and uh, it's just full of memories and full of family. And it's really what we all, we all, um, you know, where we all unwind, I suppose, and our shoulders drop um, when we get back there. What's the house made of? Uh, the house is, um, well, actually the house is a beautiful homestead. Um my parents-in-law, Don and Chris, built it in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, it's got a lot of um, limestone walls through the house, which has be, all been um, mined, I guess is probably the wrong word, but collected from Devoncourt. And other than that, it's, uh, it's timber, it's, um, we've got timber floors, we've got a tin roof so we can hear the rain. Um, but but I think that the feature that stands out is it's a lot of stone through the house, which is a, a really nice um, nod to the country and it, it just is sustainable and it's uh, got a lot of longevity about it. What's your favourite part of the house? Like where do you love to relax if you ever do relax? <laughs> um, I suppose uh, not so much where in the house, but who's with me in the house, I guess. Yeah, the house itself is beautiful, but it's not somewhere that I like to rattle around in on my own. If the kitchen, I guess the kitchen ends up being where we where we congregate. Everyone comes back there after days mustering or smoke a break from school. It's where we meet, I guess, and it's also where Zan and I shared a cup of tea every morning. I always made sure I was out of bed before he left, even when the kids were very small and I might not have had a lot of sleep. But I, we always shared that early morning cuppa at the kitchen bench 
And, um, you know, I really hold on to that. That was a really special thing. And I'm really pleased we, we had that little ritual. You so tragically lost Xander seven, a bit more than seven years ago now in 2013. Um, could I just ask you if it's okay to explain a little bit about what happened then? Yeah, sure. As you say, it's um, over seven years now, so I can talk about this a little more easily. Well, you know, quite easily now. Um, it was a normal March, quite a hot afternoon, and the girls and I were um, heading out with Zan. So one of them, one of our daughters, had just gone away to boarding school that that term. Um, so there was the three girls at home, and we often did this on a weekend. Uh, anything that we could all go and do, we did. Um, you know, the school routine upsets a lot of that during the week. So um, we all headed out and we were putting the rods back down a windmill. I'm not sure how much detail you want here, Sky, but it's sort of a, a story that I suppose has its parts and I'm used to telling it in a certain way. In any case, um, to skip to the part, we were just finishing and he was tightening um, the casing with a set of stiltsons, which is a, a, a really big spanner, basically. And he had all his weight pulling back on that and they slipped. And um, and I look back, I, the windmill's actually gone now. We've replaced it with solar, but um, the platform just wasn't big enough for, for his angle or he was at the wrong angle. And he went back over it, back backwards off the platform. And, um, and it was pretty clear there was significant injuries. So uh, after, and I was, I was doing it, performing a different, slightly different function in the car going back and forth and I jumped out and, and ran over there and he was um, knocked out for a little bit. And then I realised there was some, yeah, this wasn't good. So I rang um, for help and the girls were there as well. So that took about an hour, I guess, for the um, help to come. And in that time, I really just wanted to one, keep Zan still and two, give the girls jobs just because it was pretty frightening and we we're all better with something to do. So we were, you know, just um, getting through that hour. Triple zero callers were fabulous. They, they, I fortunately had a one blip on my phone so I could speak with them. Um, then help started arriving and it's a, it's a long process, but then he was just, on dark he was um airlifted to mount isa hospital and then transferred to townsville from there um things were actually going pretty well he was recovering reasonably well we thought we knew there'd be a long road ahead a lot of rehab um however yeah you know quite surprisingly um he he passed away yeah 19 days after getting to hospital so huge um what sticks out for you you know, as you said, it has been seven years in um, when you think back to that time now. And do you allow yourself to think back to that time? Is it cathartic in any way? I do allow myself to go to those places. I, I originally, <clears throat> I went there a lot and, uh, and I think I've come, become friends with it. Um, it I'm really a little bit off topic, but I'm, I'm really grateful for a few elements. I'm grateful there's no blame. It was no one's fault. Um, I have no guilt around it and I have no regrets. We, we were a family that, and we continue to be, that tell each other how much we love each other and it was a daily thing for Zan and I as well. So um, I didn't really feel anything remained unsaid. 
Um, but what I do, I, I, the responsibility is what is what weighed on me very quickly, is um, the responsibility that of mine to raise the children on my own and to do a good job, and the responsibility to contribute meaningfully to our business. Um, from the very early minutes, I didn't want to be a passenger. I never wanted to be someone who was, um, you know, riding on any coattails or being looked after. Um, and I think the responsibility then became to be okay for others around me um, because that's, you know, that's a really necessary part of, of any journey like this, I think. And, you know, that, that's really got a place because I think that's a, a fake it till you make it and it actually is really helpful because you've got to be okay and you kind of go, oh, well, actually, I am okay. Yeah, and then you do make it and yeah, <laughs> and you're there. Yeah, and you do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you were there along the way as well. And it's not like the whole days are terrible. You might have five minutes that's good in that day. And it's really important to recognize that that's, you know, that's, that's okay to be good and bad within the first, within a minute in those early days. Mm. Yeah, break it down into achievable things so that it's not all completely overwhelming. Yeah, exactly. And manageable and you don't feel like a failure and you can recognize the good bits and the good choices. And yeah. It sounds like it was clear from the beginning that you would continue on with the McDonald family business. How did things sort of evolve from there? Um, organically, really. Um, I think from the, the first day, you know, I had to fly home from Townsville because I was over there with Sam. Um, that that was terribly difficult. I felt like I was leaving him there, get home. And, you know, I'd, I'd said to the family back at the property who were looking after the kids, rather no, don't tell the kids yet. We made a decision. We made a group decision that we'd wait till I was home. So I went, got home, you know, lunchtime or something that day and telling the kids, um, it was absolutely, there was not a question that then the next thing I could say was, and we're leaving, impossible. You know, one big, enormous change, you know, life-changing event for them could not be followed by a second. So that was really the first decision I made, I guess, was that, well, I'm not going anywhere, primarily for them. And then I guess the, the fog cleared a little bit in the next coming days about, what is this going to look like? And so um, I guess it was pretty quickly after. So after Zan's funeral, uh, I took the kids away for a week and, and really that was um, a function of uh, leaving everyone else at home because I couldn't really say, okay, everyone needs to go um, because that wasn't, you know, wouldn't have just wouldn't have been right thing to do. A lot of miles to travel to get to, to Devoncourt for my family and, but I just needed to, um, I guess, uh, digest a little bit of the last 10 days to two weeks. So I took the kids away. And, uh, and then when I came back, I took Bella back to boarding school and then we came and she chose to do that, which is very brave. And then we came back to the, the station and I realised very quickly then that, you know, there was, um, you know, the businesses keep going, life keeps going and much as you want it to stop, it literally doesn't. And we had, we have a hundred staff, we have animals, we have um, systems, programs. Yeah. And, and we, we had some gaps. So yeah, I'm very lucky, very lucky that <clears throat> I could step into those 
certainly in a in a capacity that wasn't very <laughs> very uh, comprehensive in those first few months. But I built up from there, and but yeah, I, I it was it was an easy decision to launch in. Were you CFO before Xander passed away? Unofficially, I guess titles are a thing you don't always have in a family business and where we were the same we might have been more in a, a sort of corporate size um, but we didn't really hand out titles so um yeah we i became the official cfo i guess to put on a business card really yeah but i was certainly oversaw the office before zan died but i also had little kids you know our youngest had just turned seven they were all homeschooled um, you know, I had governesses, fortunately, I wasn't the most patient of teachers. So yes, always had a hand in it. And Zan and I had a lot of conversations and we would throw around a lot of ideas and he would come to me and ask me to, you know, have a look at some figures on this and put a spreadsheet together on that. And um, yeah, so always have had a significant hand in the administration side of the business. We'll be back with Julie in just a moment. But now, a word from today's sponsor. Being mentored by some of the greatest leaders in the Australasian agriculture industry might sound appealing, but how about travelling by private jet as a part of that experience? This very opportunity will be available to one young Kiwi or Aussie again next year when they take out the 2021 Xander McDonald Award. Now in its seventh year, The award recognises those who are passionate about agriculture, wanting to make a difference in their sector and looking to take their career to the next level. There's an impressive prize package up for grabs that'll put the winner in the passenger seat with some of the biggest and the best agricultural operators in both countries through the Platinum Primary Producers Network. Applications for the 2021 award are open to individuals aged 21 to 35 years who live and work in the agriculture sector in Australia or New Zealand. Entries close on Monday, the 31st of August. To find out more about this amazing opportunity, head to zandermcdonaldaward.com. What does your routine look like now? You mentioned that previously you used to get up early in the morning and have a cup of tea with, with Xander and that was your time in the morning where you got to catch up with each other. But um, yeah, what does what does your routine look like now? Um, well, I guess I have two routines, and and routines are, are really important to me. And I think it really was having a routine um, that helped me get back on track, or, or having a you know maintaining a routine. And um, so at at home, the routine is pretty much the same. We're all up early. Um, the kids are out the door because it's in school holidays. So they they you know lap up every minute they can being outside on their horses or with the dogs or with the cattle or whatever's going on for the day so they're we're all up um, and they're out the door when the sun's coming up um, and I'm up with them and then I won't necessarily go out on on a horse for a day my poor old knees don't go so well now Um, but I'm if I'm going out I might be poking along the back of the mob in a Toyota or but I tend to go for a run or a walk early I need that's a really important part of my day and um, and then I'll come back and do some outside jobs and and at Devoncourt it's wonderfully diverse I'm in and out of the office which I love um, might take myself on a boar run or might need to run to town um, or go out to the mob or 
whatever, whatever is going, it's the thing I miss most about being out there is that diverse day. Uh, and then, you know, we all come together for dinner at night, if, if not, or if not for lunches, but meals have always been a big part of our routine. We all sit down at the table. Um, we sit down as a family every evening and we, we do that wherever we are. So that's the routine at home. The routine in Brisbane is I'm still up early, go for a run or a walk. Um, lucky enough to be within striking distance of the river. So that's a really lovely place to um, stretch my legs. And then I'm governed by the school routine really um, to a degree. So I'll run the kids to the train, two day girls now, um, and uh, and then hit the, you know, hit the office or at the moment we're all at home. So we have a Zoom meeting at nine o'clock every, every day um, just to keep in touch, have a quick conversation. And, uh, and then, you know, I, I'll pay a bit of attention to everything that I've got my hand in at that particular time. And, and then, you know, school, either picking up from the train or picking up from sport. And, you know, the same thing, we, we sit down for a meal and then everyone goes back to what they're doing, whether that's study. I've got a girl in year 11 and one in year nine. So there's, um, there's a lot of work involved that. And, and I'm studying at the moment as well. Well, I'm doing a course which is requiring a bit of, uh, a bit of work. So, you know, after dinner, we'll all go and hit the books for a little bit. And then, um, yeah, and then I guess it's bed and then up again. And weekends are a bit looser, but there's sport. We're, we're busy. We don't, and I don't really do downtime so well. And it's, it is something I want to get better at. And, but, you know, no does, nor does any mother with children that are, you know, active. What, what do you love to do though? I just, yeah, it's, I always like to ask what people love to do, you know, when they've sort of had enough, they say, oh, I wish I could do this, whether it's read a book or run or go to the beach or have a coffee or bath. Yeah, uh, probably uh, different. When I'm in Brisbane, it's to get away from looking at a computer screen I think that's as I said it's the thing that I miss the most is that diversity in a day and there is so much you you need to do and can do remotely and remotely for me oddly enough is in the city because <laughs> yeah. I'm remote from the properties and um, I'm really conscious of of keeping connected to what's going on on the land and I think it's um it worries me that with weeks on end in the city in school terms you can easily just get a little bit disconnected from the reality of, of working with your hands in the dirt, so to speak. So, you know, we can dream up all sorts of policies and procedures and things that should happen, but it's so important to, you know, just keep connected with what actually is possible on the ground. Um, sorry, I really digressed then, didn't I? Um, no, I love it. I love it. Do, will, do you think when the girls finish school, you will be back on the farm full-time? You know, um, my second eldest daughter is studying agribusiness. Um, she will ultimately end up back in at home or in the family business. She's, she's really, you know, a go-getter in, the, in that that's where she wants to be. And the girls are all following their different dreams at the moment. My eldest daughter is a cellist, so totally different. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and so she's in her third year of a music degree in New Zealand. Um, with dreams of playing in orchestras in Europe. So her dream is totally different, but um, certainly no less intense and requires, you know, equivalent amounts of um, focus. Um, I don't know that I'll end up full-time. I don't actually know where I'll, I'll end up. And I, I think that's a, something I'm facing at the moment. Um, 
know, the girls will always need me and I'll always need them, but not on a daily basis. So what that looks like beyond the school years, I'm not really sure. Um, I have options and for that I'm really grateful. So I guess I'll just make those decisions as they, as they come up. But it, I won't be in the city. I, I can't see myself in the centre of Brisbane, which is where I am now. Do you love or lament the fact that you have the country city life and not lament because you're there with your girls, but um, is, it, is it great or, diffi- or really difficult? No, it's certainly not really difficult. I'm, um, I certainly don't begrudge it. Yes, there's days where I'm, my head's aching and I you know, want to be away from um, the, uh, the computer or the phone or whichever way it is that I'm you know, managing to do business that day. But I made this choice to come down here. I didn't have to. I made this choice for one of my daughters was an incredibly sad border. And I made a choice then to change what I was doing for the benefit of the, the kids or that kid <laughs> and the rest followed. Um, so I, I just know how, you know, enormously fortunate I am to have a home here and a home in the bush. And I can be at either. And, um, but I've chosen this and it was, it's a good choice. And when I, I said to the family, um, this is what I need to do. And, but I, I said, I totally understand if you want to keep operations as they are with our head office out here in the bush. And, you know, they all said, no, it goes with you. You, you, you set it up how you want to run it. And, you know, that's, um, that's just, just how it operates. And, uh, yeah, incredibly lucky. And the feedlot's only four hours away. So I can, now they're getting a little bit more independent. I aim to get out there um, once a month. And yeah, so yeah, there's things I miss. Certainly, there's things I miss about both. So it's a good mix. And tell me a little bit about the Xander McDonald Award. How did it start? Uh, well, um, it really started very soon after the, the thought was had or the seed was sown very soon after Zan's accident. Um, he was a founding member of a group called the Triple P Group, which is the Platinum Primary Producers. Uh, which has been running for over a decade now. Um, but he and a fellow Shane McManaway founded it, or well, they started it with the idea of getting like-minded producers in a room. Um, and, and Shane's a Kiwi, so it became a sort of a trans-Tasman group. Um, and Zan was, um, you know, instrumental in, in those, what became a conference actually. So in 2013, his accident was just prior to the conference. And uh, so, you know, there was a fairly sombre, um, well, I'm told, certainly wasn't there, a very sombre um, conference. So in the, in the weeks after, um, Shane and a couple of the other members of the Triple P decided they really wanted to do something significant in Zan's memory. So with Shane at the helm, uh, they came up with this award and, and then got, you know, me on board, and, um, which is, you know, an absolute, um, pleasure and a gift that you know I could be involved in this and and then in 2014 it was announced at the at the next Triple P conference and then the first winner was announced in the t- 2015 uh, and and it's evolved from there. So what is it all about? Uh, well, the award is about um, finding between Australian and New Zealand applicants um, some really um, dedicated, um, forward-thinking, interested 
and dynamic future leaders in agriculture. And it's about finding the people or, or the people finding us really um, who have got all these qualities but maybe just need that extra step, just maybe need someone to put them in touch with the right person who can facilitate um, an improvement in their business or, or who can help them to rethink something or, you know, someone that's, we're looking for not just someone, but people who are ready to, to not only invest back in their own business, but um, want to invest back in, in the broader sector. Just like Xander. Yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, I've laughed at this over the years, but the criteria is to have Xander-like qualities. <laughs> it's, it's a really hard thing to define. Uh. Um, and, uh, but it, it is, it, it encompasses all those things. And we're certainly not saying you've got to be, you know, got to be a Xander to, uh, to get there. But if you can just display that you've got this, um, this go about you it, it's a quality it's actually a, a pretty hard thing to define and it might you might on paper think it's someone else but but what we see um, and there's a panel of us so we don't always um, agree as we get towards the, the top six but we tend to always agree on the top three um, that yeah it's just it's a it's a collection of qualities that come together in someone who we really want to in, invest in the time in and give the introductions to that we think will benefit ag long term it's about longevity of the industry have you been happy with the kind of people that it has attracted yeah we really have uh it's 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 so exciting to start reading the resumes and um so one of the great things that we've brought in as this has evolved is um, that the applicants now need to send in a, a very short clip so a minute maximum and it just gives them an opportunity to you know, show us who they are and we get an opportunity to see who they are, which is, you know, sometimes very different to what we're seeing on paper. So that's, that's really helped us um, to get a feel for people. Um, I, you know, I love that we're getting applicants from a variety of sectors in ag, you know, grain, beef, goats, education, you know, it's really not limited to someone who's on the family farm, that is for sure. It's, uh, it, it attracts people from um, private enterprise, from government, from education, you know, we've had teachers apply, um, from a not-for-profit, not profit could someone with links to ag, you know, in a not-for-profit could apply. There's, it's, it's very broad and I think that's the beauty of this award is that they're really you're only limited by um, probably what you know you put on yourself if you're in if you have any sort of a, a finger in ag um, we certainly would consider that person to be influential down the track if, if they're the right person do you see this award as just another way to sort of reconnect with Xander and and it's a little bit of his legacy and and do him proud Look, to be honest, and, and, you know, it's something we haven't yet, um, you know, gone to in, in your questions, and it, it actually made me think. So the question of how do we keep him alive or how do we keep him involved in our life and what signs are there of Zan, I um, I'm probably need, if anything, to stop looking, to stop finding signs and messages from Zan, you know, I can say, oh, the light turned green. Thank you, Zan. Yeah. Um, oh, we've, we've been brought to this, you know, trough that's blown a bung and we haven't lost the tank of water. Ah, thanks, Zan. And, you know, 
um, songs that come on the radio or the look the girls give me. So he's just so present and he's so present with the girls and, you know, we'll often be saying, oh, dad wouldn't like that. Or, you know, we've got two sausage dogs now. Oh, dad definitely wouldn't like that. You know, he's <laughs> definitely a Labrador man. Um, he's just a part of every conversation and a big part of uh, who the girls are and, and a big part of, um, you know, what I do, I guess. Um, so the, the award is, is it just is adjacent to that. It, it's, I love that it's in his name and it reflects so much about him, but the award in itself is really, I just think it's a fabulous uh, thing for young people in agriculture. And the fact that, you know, we have Zan's name attached to that. It's a privilege for us as well. It's um, I don't need that to keep him relevant and to keep him part of our lives, but I love that it is a part of the journey. And I love that it's become a part of the Trans-Tasman conversation around ag. Well, Julie, um, best of luck with the award. I hope you get lots of wonderful applications this year. Thank you for so beautifully sharing your story with us on this podcast. And um, we will continue to watch on with interest. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Sky. It's just been a real pleasure talking to you and, and letting everyone know about the award. Thank you so much to Julie McDonald for so beautifully sharing her story. Actually, I wanted to tell you that after this interview, we both exchanged emails with each other and she wanted to tell me that she's acutely aware that everyone has a story to tell. And I replied by saying that I was just in complete awe of the path that she's carved and how articulately she's able to tell her story after enduring so much hardship. There's more information about the Xander McDonald Award and how to apply in the show notes. And thank you so much for joining us for this very first episode of Life on the Land. It's the first episode in an eight-week series, which we just cannot wait to bring you. We love telling the stories of our rural and regional women, and we have some amazing women still to join us this season. Life on the Land is a Grazy Her podcast. It's an independent podcast, meaning we don't have the backing of a network. So... The number one way that you can support us at Grazy Her is to tell a friend, or maybe several, about us. You could text them this episode and tell them to listen or to share it on their Instagram stories. Take a screenshot of your app or show us where you listen by messaging and tagging us, whether it's checking the water, baking at home, going for an afternoon walk, or just doing whatever you're doing. Please also rate and review us in iTunes. This will help others discover this podcast in our early stages of launching. Thank you again so much for listening and we'll be back in your ears again next Monday with episode two and another very special guest. Have a great week.